How are we doing, church? You guys good today? You good? Man, it is so good to see you. I want to take a minute, and I want to welcome everybody who's watching online, and of course, everybody who's over at that South Side, South Campus. South Campus, we see you, we love you, and we love you here, and the best way we can show you is by clapping for you. So come on, will you clap for that person sitting next to you right now who's watching with us? Give them a smile, too. Why don't you just smile at that person who's sitting next to you? Just give them a nice smile. Just welcome them to church. We're just glad that you're here today. And uh, man, this is a great season. This is an amazing season for our church. We're getting ready to start Advent. And uh, if you have never done this with us, I really want to encourage you to do this with us. You will be so glad that you did. 25 days of centering your heart around the Lord. And uh, it's a great opportunity for you personally. It's something that you can do with your spouse and grow closer together and closer to the Lord. And then certainly as a family, we've got, we've got all kinds of content uh, that you can engage with right on our very own Summit Park Church app. Everybody say, wow. It's all right there. You can engage with it. It's very, very uh, helpful. I, we love doing this. We've been doing this, I guess, three, four years now as a family, and we love it. There's little ornaments you put on this tree every day. You celebrate it. You talk about Jesus. And it is a great way to make sure that Jesus is the reason for the season in our hearts. All right? So I want to encourage you to do that. You will love it. You will love it. Just turn to somebody and say, you're going to love it. Just tell somebody, you, you will love it. You will love it. Um, I promise that you will. Also, before we jump into our message today, I want to say a huge thank you to everybody who's helping out with our first gift outreaches. All of the first gift outreaches that we're doing, it's amazing. We are making a gigantic impact all across our community, all across our city. Lives are being changed. I want to say thank you for those who are actually taking meals to, to people or being a part of uh, bringing the toys uh, to, to the different areas that we're spreading those out. Thank you for, for those who are being a part of it. And then thank you for those who are supporting it. Um, thank you so much because your gift, your generosity is making all of that happen. It's really, really cool. Had this great testimony come in yesterday. Got a, Jen got a text from one of the great single moms in our church. And she was just so blessed. I don't know if you guys knew this, but we, we brought Thanksgiving meals to all of the single moms in our church as well as $100 gift cards to help get their, uh, for each kid that they have, to help get their, their Christmas shopping done. Isn't that cool? Isn't that really cool? Amazing, amazing. Um, and then, to, this is the text message that came in. It says, I want to give thanks to you and Pastor Scott and the whole Summit Park Church family. Thank you for the Thanksgiving food and wonderful Hallmark card, including the gift card to Kohl's. It was truly special. It touched my heart. I immediately cried when I opened it up. Thank you for Life Group. The single mom group is amazing, and I can count on them anytime for prayer and just a listening ear. I love you all. Heart emoji. Again, thank you for and a great rest of the evening. Smile face emoji. Smile face emoji with heart eyes. And I want to say thank you to you. Come on, so clap for the person next to you because you're a part of that. You are a part of that. Every time you give, every time you, you support the ministry here, you're being a part of miracles like that. So thank you so much. I just love being a part of our church, and this is a great time just to demonstrate the love of Jesus. All right. Well, hey, we are wrapping up our series in Nehemiah, okay? This has been just a great series. Learned so much through this. And we're wrapping it up with one of the most interesting endings, okay? This would be 
not an exclamation point, it'd be a question mark, okay? You know, sometimes you want to stick the landing, you know? Like, you want to be like, bam! You want to go out with like, yeah, home run! Doesn't happen with Nehemiah. (laughs) It's kind of like a strikeout. Like, literally, like, the whole thing has been amazing. All these great lessons, and Nehemiah's been awesome. The people are rallying. It's incredible. And then it all just goes, And the question that we end up asking is, how in the world did we end up here? How in the world did we end up here? All right? So if you're taking notes, that's the title of today's message. How in the world did we end up here? Have you ever had a, have you ever had a situation that you thought was going to go really, really amazing, and you had plans for it to go amazing, and you laid out some plans, and it just didn't go according to plan at all. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I, uh, this happened to me when my uh, wife, fiance at the time, had just gotten engaged, and we had uh, we'd gone out to uh, the campground at the church that we were on staff at, and we're I was just like so excited. It's like, here my fiance, my fiance was during a summer camp and I'm walking around. She's got the ring on. I'm making sure everybody can see it. You know what I'm saying? Showing that thing off. And, um, and uh, so we, we, we decided to go four-wheeling. And so we get, you know, get the helmets on, very safe. And I'm like, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to show her how like daring I am and like how like masculine I am and how fast we can go. And then like there's this hill. And I think it was called something like Dead Man's Hill, you know. And, and that should give you a clue. Not a good idea, right? In fact, they have signs. Don't go up there. In fact, now I think they just don't even let you. I think it's all blocked off. But it hadn't been blocked off at the time. Giant, like straight up. I was like, I got this. Let's go. So she's on the back. And I'm on the front. And we're going up Dead Man's Hill. She's hanging. I'm like, hang on, baby. You know, <laughs> And so we're, we're, we're riding up this hill. We're riding up this hill. This is a 100% true story. And I'm like, lean, like, it's starting, like, the front reels are starting to, like, pop up a little bit. So I'm, like, standing up, leaning up, trying to keep the weight down. Doesn't work. The wheels keep coming. Less. The whole thing begins to do like this. And we're on Dead Man's Hill. And literally, literally, the four-wheeler begins to land on us. And there's steep cliffs on either side. It's like probably six feet wide, and we're going up this thing, and it starts to land on us. Good thing I have ninja skills. And as it's coming down, I kick it up. It goes down the hill. The four-wheeler goes down the hill, and the the frame's all bent up. The handlebars are all bent up. And and I get up, and I look up, and I'm I'm like, I just killed my fiancé. That's what I'm thinking. I just killed my fiancé. I've waited a long time to get married. And I just killed her right here on Dead Man's Hill. And I get up and I'm like, are you okay? Are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm okay. A little bit scratched up. And I just remember thinking, how in the world did I end up here? And of course I knew, right? I went up Dead Man's Hill. <laughs> like, and I shouldn't have. But like, there, there's moments like that, right? Where you're just like, how did we get here? How did we, how did we get here? Have you ever had an intention, like a really good intention, and gotten off track? Like, you ever started a year, beginning of the year, and you're like, okay, I'm going to work out. Like, I'm going to work out every day, like, for the rest of my life. And you get a treadmill and a Peloton, okay? You spend lots of money, and you get all kinds of gear. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you go to Dick's Sporting Goods, and you're just like, I'll take one of everything. 
You got so much Nike, you could be your, like you could be sponsored by Nike, but really you're sponsoring Nike is what's happening. And, and you're like, oh, I'm going to be so, like three weeks in, and you're like, oh, this is great. Two months later, treadmills got dust. The Peloton doesn't work anymore. And let's just say you've grown out of your new clothes. And you're like, what in the world? How did we end up? here. Or maybe you got like, you're, okay, I'm going to do this new diet. I'm going to do this new diet. It's going to be amazing. You bought the most expensive blender that you could find because you're serious about this. You loaded up the fridge with kale and blueberries and any other superfood you can find. And you're like, I'm going to be committed to this later that week. You're rocking a giant pizza and a two-liter of Mountain Dew. And you're saying, how did I end up here? There's moments like that where you start with good intentions. And it doesn't go as you planned. Or or maybe it, it doesn't only not go how you planned, but it goes way worse than you planned. Like, have you ever said, like, we're gonna, we need to get closer as a family. We're going to have family game nights. Anybody ever like, you're going to like, we're going to do this. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have so much fun. We're going to make memories. We're going to be hugging at the end of it. (laughs) Only to get a few minutes in, people are cheating, stealing, lying, fighting. Everybody gets sent to the room and is mad. And you find yourself saying, how did we end up here? We wanted to go there, but somehow we ended up here. This is exactly what is happening at the end of the book of Nehemiah. Literally, how in the world did we end up here? Now, for those of you who are just joining us, if if you haven't caught any of these messages, let me give you a quick recap. There's this guy named Nehemiah. He's a cupbearer to the king in Babylon, all right, But, but Jerusalem is his hometown, original hometown. He didn't grow up there, but that's where his heart is. That's where his people's home is. And he wants to get back there, and he wants to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem because God really cares a lot about Jerusalem, and God is going to do great things in Jerusalem. And so, so he wants to go, and he wants to rebuild the walls, and he goes, and he has this great miracle, and, and he gets a team together, and he overcomes opposition, both from outside and from within, and He does all of this, and it's amazing. And last week we talked about it all culminates in this amazing revival that happens in chapter 10. In fact, look at this. And I want you to pay attention to this verse. Very important. The people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain. This is what the revival was going to take and going to look like. New wine and olive oil to the storerooms where the articles for the sanctuary and for the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the musicians are also kept. Hey, we're going to get all these supplies ready. We're going to get everything ready so that church can happen. We're going to do this because God cares about this, and we're in. And the people say this, we will not neglect the house of our God. They're like, let's do this. We're in it. We've got great intentions. We're never going to compromise again. Have you ever said that? (laughs) Have you ever said, no, God, this time I mean it. I'm not going to act like that. I'm not going to talk like that. I'm not going to think like that. And it leads to joy. The good intentions are very powerful. 
We talked about dedicating ourselves to God. It's very important to do. Look at Nehemiah chapter 12. I didn't even read this verse, but it's amazing. On that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Everybody's singing. Everybody's shouting. Everybody's dancing. It's incredible. It's joyous. And it is revival. And that's what we talked about last week. And that's what we want. That's what we want as a church. Amen? We want, we want that what is happening here to be heard from far away, not for our glory, but for the glory of God. We want the fact that God's changing people's lives, saving people, setting people free, healing people, restoring marriages. We want people to hear about it all across the world because our God is that great. That's what we want. And that's what's happening. Then you come to chapter 13. You come to chapter 13. The people stop caring about God. The priests let an enemy sleep in the temple where the offering supplies were supposed to be kept. And Nehemiah starts beating people up, pulling out their hair and saying, God, please remember me. At least I tried. That's literally what happens in chapter 13. And it's this whole thing where it says, how in the world did we get here? What happened here? Nehemiah has so much to say to us about this. Intentions. And I, I would just, I would, bear to, I, I would, uh, I would uh, venture to say that as we step into the holidays, you've got some intentions. I bet you've got some intentions this holiday season that, that this, this season's going to be different than the last season. This season, we're going to prioritize God more than we have before. We're not going to let materialism get us again. We're not going to get in that fight with that uncle at Thanksgiving dinner again. You know, we've got some intentions. We've got some intentions. Well, what happens when those intentions falter? It can be really discouraging, and it can mess with you. It can get you off track, and if you're not careful, it can leave you. It can leave you saying, what is even the point. When you get to a what happened here, it can lead to what is even the point. And that's really dangerous. And that's what I want to talk about today because Nehemiah helps us see some things about ourselves, about human nature, and about the Lord that are going to really help us live with good intentions and keep those good intentions. So if you're ready to, uh, to jump in and grow in Nehemiah chapter 13, say I am. All right, let's do this. Nehemiah chapter 13. And we're going to start with verse 4. I've edited some of these, so I'm not going to read the whole chapter because some of it's redundant, but I just want to like skim through it and get the main points. We're going to start with verse 4. Before this, Eliashib the priest had put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was put in charge. So, and he was closely associated with Tobiah. Anybody remember Tobiah? Remember him from a couple of chapters ago? Actually, got through the whole, the whole book. Tobiah is a distraction for Nehemiah. He's somebody who's like, who's egging Nehemiah on. This guy is not a good dude at all, all right? He was making fun of him. He was ridiculing him. Remember, one, he was one of the guys who was, who was saying, oh, look at your wall, Nehemiah. Anybody can, can bring it down. Even a fox could bring it down. In fact, not only he had done that, but he had hired somebody to tell Nehemiah that his life was in danger. So, like, this dude is not a good dude. And they give him a room. Look at this. 
and he provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles and also the tithes of grain, new wine and olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians and gatekeepers, as well as the contribution for the priests. What did we just read? Do you remember we just read this? Just a few chapters ago in chapter 10, they're like, all right, we're going to make sure that room is clear. And it's going to be, it's going to have all of the offering supplies, all of the sacrifice supplies. We will not neglect the house of our God. And now they've let an enemy of the state take up residence there. How in the world did we end up here? Well, Nehemiah finds out because he had been gone for a little while. So he'd gone back to Susa for 12 years, and he comes back, and he's like, what is going on? He is not having it. He's not having it. Look at verse 8. I was greatly displeased, and I threw out, uh, threw out all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms, and then I put back uh, the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them. So, so the, the people who are taking care of the house are not getting what they deserve. And he says, and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. They're like, hey, we got to go make some money. We're not, we're not getting taken care of. So they left. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Y'all, I heard you say it. You said, I will not neglect the house of God. We're in this. We mean it. Why is this happening? So he starts making adjustments. Verse 11. Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. Nehemiah is a great leader. He's going to solve problems. But what's interesting here is he doesn't pray. He doesn't ask God for help. He just starts handling it himself. Something's happening in Nehemiah's spirit. Something's happened. Something's shifted. Something's changed. This great leader who's honored God, who's sought God in everything. He's not seeking God. And he starts making adjustments. Verse 12, all Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil into the storerooms. I put Shelemiah, the priest, Zadok, the scribe, and a Levite named Padiah in charge of the storerooms and made Hanan, son of Zerker, son of Mataniah, their assistant, because they were considered trustworthy. He starts getting things going. He gets low-hanging fruit. But what's interesting is right after he makes all of these changes, watch the prayer that he does pray. He doesn't pray before, but he prays after and watch his prayer. Look at this. Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. Do we have that verse? I don't know if we have that verse. Verse 14. We do not. There it is is right there. Okay, I want you to see this. Let me read this again. Remember me, my God, about what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God. What's the theme there? Me. Do you see that? Where Nehemiah had been all about God, had been like, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to lead? Lord, speak to me, and I'll do what you want. Where he had been so God-centered, now he has become me-centered. It's interesting. It's a slow fade, isn't it? It's a slow fade, but it's happening. Look at it. And then, he, and then he's not done. Watch this. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine 
grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Okay, so they hadn't been told, they'd been um, commanded, do not work on the Sabbath. God rested on the sixth day, or the seventh day he rested, and so should we. And he's like, hey, listen, you should rest. You should rest. You, you need to do this. And they weren't doing it. So Nehemiah's like, listen, it's not because God's trying to rob you. He's trying to bless you, but he wants you to trust him instead of trusting yourself. And so he tries to make them obey. Look at this, verse 19. When evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not opened until the Sabbath was over. He says, you all trying to work on the Sabbath? I'm going to stop you from doing it. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no one can, uh, so no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. But I warned them and said, why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you. He's saying, even if you get close, even if you get close to compromising the Sabbath, I'm taking you to jail. That's crazy. The ESV, if some of you are reading along in the ESV, it says, I will lay hands on you. <laughs> it's probably more accurate. That's what he's saying. He's like, I, I'm going to make you do this. Every parent completely understands what Nehemiah is feeling, right? It's like, oh, I am going to make you. Oh, yes, you will. But this isn't how, this isn't how spiritual leadership should take place. This isn't really how any leadership, this isn't the best form of motivation for any leadership. Great leadership should start with the heart. Certainly spiritual leadership. And Nehemiah's resorting, he's getting frustrated, and he's resorting to physical force. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. So they, at least they listened. They did what he asked them to do. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this, remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. Verse 23, moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Skip to verse 25. I rebuked them and called down curses on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. What? I'm gonna read that again. I think some of you missed that. Okay. People are, in, are marrying the people that they should not have married because they were going to lead them astray. They're going to lead them astray. They were serving other gods. And he's like, no, 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 no. We were commanded not to do that. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. I mean, there, aren't there rules for some of this? Like, I don't even think you can do that in wrestling. Like, WWF, I don't think you're allowed to pull hair. But Nehemiah's pulling hair. And I made them take an oath in God's name. You are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Remember them, my God, because they defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. So I purified the priests and the Levites of everything foreign and assigned them duties, each to his own task. I also made provisions for contributions of wood at designated times and for the first fruits. Remember me with favor, my God. Do you see how crazy this is? Does anybody else see how crazy this is? He comes back. People are doing their own thing. He's just running around. Ah, ah, you, ah, 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 you stop it. Ah, and making everybody do anything. Ah, God, ah, remember me. It's crazy. 
This is nuts. This whole thing is a mess. They had revival. And now he's trying to force religion. How in the world did we end up here? This passage teaches us some very important things about our, our human heart, about, about God, and about where we go. And I want to show you three realities of the human heart that, if we understand, will help us to live out our good intentions, all right? Number one, our hearts are prone to wander. Number two, our hearts must be led. And number three, grace is the only force that will truly change our hearts. Our hearts are prone to wander. Our hearts must be led. And grace is the only force that will truly change our hearts. All right. I want to I wanna encourage you with these things. Or right, before we do, I want you to find three people and say, what in the world is happening here? Come on, three people and ask them, say, what in the world? What in the world is happening here? Number one, our hearts are prone to wander. We're all prone to wander, all of us. Let me just ask you, all right, some of, some of us are more easily distracted than others. How many of you are the fun, spontaneous people out there? Okay, just raise your hand, the fun, spontaneous, sevens on the Enneagrams. I expected a little bit more energy from that. Like, yeah, I really, there we go, a few, yeah. How many of you are more of the plan, strategic, discipline? Come on, church people. There we go. Church people. We will have fun after we work. Come on, I, I know. That's my kind of people right there. Um, no matter where you are on that spectrum, if you're super spontaneous and you're fun and you're like, ah, oh, squirrel, well, if you don't matter, if you don't, where you're at. Or if you're disciplined, our hearts are all prone to wander. This has way less to do with personality than, has, than it has to do with our sinful human nature. Jeremiah chapter 17 says this, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Who really knows? We're messed up. And we don't even realize how messed up we are. We all have blind spots. Can I get an amen? And here's the thing about my blind spots. I don't know what they are. So anybody who tells you, oh, I know my blind spots. No, you, you don't. That's why they're called blind spots. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just ask you, how many of you know somebody else who has some issues? Just raise your hand at both locations. You, guys, you know somebody who's got some issues. How many of you know somebody who's got some issues and it doesn't even realize how bad their issues are? Come on, just raise, you, you're excited, raise your hand. Let me just ask you this. You know what's crazy? Someone was just raising their hand about you. <laughs> oh, that's crazy! But it's true. Someone was raising their hand about you. <laughs> about the issues you have and you don't know. We all have issues. The heart is inherently 
wicked. Revival happens, but it, it, it peters out. Why? Because our hearts are prone to wander. As much as we want to follow God, we want to follow ourselves. As much as we want the spirit, we're full of the flesh. Our hearts are prone to wander. It doesn't make any of it okay. It's still wrong. It's still sin. It still messes us up. But it's very important to know it so that when it happens, it doesn't rock our world. This is really, really, this is prescriptive, preventative medicine for your soul, especially as we move forward, believing God for revival. Like when your heart starts to go off track, make sure that you don't get so worked up that it messes you up. That when you make a mistake, it's important that you don't let that mistake dominate you. And then you're like, oh man, why even, why even try? No, 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 just no. Man, my heart is prone to wander. Scott told me. He warned me. And before him, the Bible. <laughs> like Jeremiah said, your heart is inherently wicked. Nehemiah shows us this. When your heart loses its way, it's important not to lose heart. When your heart loses its way, when you get discouraged, when you're, when you're like, oh man, I don't think I could do this, it's important not to lose heart because this is the devil. This is how he works. He baits us and then he beats us. Have you ever seen this? This is how he works. He's like, oh yeah, come here. Oh yeah, just take a bit of that. Oh yeah, come here, this is gonna be so amazing. Oh, you deserve this. Oh, this is gonna be so great. Oh, it's gonna taste so good. Oh yeah, and then once you do, you take the bait, he just goes, well, bam. And he's like, how dare you? You call yourself a Christian, you hypocrites, right? That's how he works. And then we're like, you know what, you're right. Why even, why even try? It's a lie. Because you were never a Christian because of what you did anyways. You're a Christian because of what Jesus Christ did for you. He died. He lived. He rose again. This is the key to maintaining spiritual vitality is to never stop starting. Some of you are like, eh? It, you know, when, when, you, when, you get, when you get a little bit off track, you start to veer, you start, your heart starts to wander, you say, recalculating, I'm bringing it right back. And I'm not going to be discouraged by the struggle. I'm actually going to be strengthened in it because I'm gonna, I know that it's a reality and I'm going to keep moving forward. You're going to move forward. You're going to know victory. I believe God wants it for us. You're going to make some strides. But when you fall short, which all of us will, we're imperfect people. When you fall short, remember that God loves you and that he has a plan for your life. You will mess up, but God. You will mess up, but God gives grace. You will wander away, but God knew that from the very beginning. You will move where you shouldn't go, but God sent Jesus, wants to forgive you, is pulling for you, and he is equipping you to win in the future. Remember that. Your heart is prone to wander, but that doesn't have to be your reality. Second, our hearts must be led. Our hearts, our hearts must be led. Now, this is, now, this is why you, the Bible is so amazing. Think about this. Things go sideways for the people because Eliashib, the priest, had let Tobiah, the enemy, 
move into the place where the sacred things were kept. I mean, the word picture could not be any more clear, right? He let an enemy move into the place, set up his furniture, set up his bed and, and his little dresser and his little nightstand and his little candle where the offering supplies were supposed to be kept. Where, where the stuff that was supposed to be dedicated and devoted to God, an enemy of the state. This is crazy. 12 years. And it's, it, it's such a picture of how our hearts are prone to wander. God is supposed to be the centerpiece of our life. God is supposed to be the thing that has the sacred places, the most devoted places, the most holy places. And yet how easy is it to hand over those holy places to our enemies and just let the enemy right on in with things we think about, things we look at, things we talk about, where we give our attention to. We let the enemy in, what we do, what we actually give our hearts to. This is what happens. And, and a lot of times this comes in the form of idols. Idols. You know, we don't have a, we don't have a lot of like physical idols here in America. Not, not like they do in other places where they actually have like little statues that they bow down and, and worship. We don't have a lot of those today, but ours are just, di- we have them, but they're just different. They're not statues, they're money, sex, fame, gossip, status. And the psalmist says in, one, in Psalm 115, he says about idols, they have mouths, but they cannot speak, eyes, but they cannot see, they have ears, but they cannot hear, noses, but cannot smell, they have hands, but cannot feel, feet, but they cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. He says, listen, you're bowing down to things, they were literally worshiping things that, that were fake, instead of the one who was real. And we do the same thing, don't we? Things that will not make us more alive. And this is what he says. Look in verse 8. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Do you know what he's saying? When you put your hope in something that is lifeless, it's going to bring nothing but death and disappointment to you. He's saying God is meant to have the sacred places. And so that's why we've got to guard our heart. That's what Solomon said, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, above everything else, guard your heart. You've got to lead your heart. If your heart is prone to wander, you've got to lead your heart back to where you want it to go, right? You've got to say, no, 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 no. I'm not just handing over sacred places. I'm not just letting the enemy into my heart. I'm not just letting him into all of my viewing activity online or what I watch on television. I'm not just giving him the, the idle moments of my heart. I am guarding that because it is sacred and it is for God alone. So it's about leading your heart, but then it's also about making sure that you've got right leadership in your life. Because Nehemiah is gone and the people are like, right? That's what happens. They didn't have a strong, where's Ezra? That's what I want to know. Where's Ezra at? Nehemiah is gone and the people just go off the rails. And that's why it's so important. This, I, I want to say this to you. It's so important to have good godly leadership in your life. No matter how 
old or young you are, you've got to have people in your life that are encouraging you in the Lord. You've got to have people that are challenging you with your blind spots. You've got to have people who are calling stuff out and being like, man, are you okay? Asking you, are you, you, had, are you okay? You've got to have good leadership in your life or you will follow the leadership in your life. You will. Whatever you allow to lead you will lead you. So don't be surprised when it does. So find good godly leadership. Get in the life group, iron sharpening iron. Get around people who can encourage you and strengthen you. Be in church. Listen to the word. All of those things will help lead your heart exactly where you want it to go, okay? So those are the first two things. Our heart is prone to wander, and our heart needs to be led. But this is the most important thing, and it's this. Grace is the only force that will truly change our hearts. This is the most important thing in this book, that you get this. This whole book is showing us that this reality is reality, okay? Nehemiah tries to make them obey by arresting them, laying hands on them, beating them, and pulling out their hair. (laughs) And he gets them to do it for a little while. As long as Nehemiah's there, as long as he's watching, But how many of you know that doesn't change your heart? And then as soon as Nehemiah is like off doing something else, the people are going to go back. It doesn't change the heart. And then you've got Nehemiah at the end of it. Here's this great godly leader, and he's making this all about him at the end. So Nehemiah's gone off the rails a bit. The people have definitely gone off the rails. And you have Nehemiah saying, remember me for this, my God, verse 14. Verse 22, remember me for this also, my God, verse 22. Verse 31, remember me with favor, my God. He's like, look at me, look at me, look at me. God, do you see it? We do this as little kids. We're like, oh, do you see? Do you see all the little things I did? Do you like it? Do you accept me? Do you like me now? I did this. Oh, I I made that shot or I, I bought that car. I got that house. Do do you like me now? Do do you like me? Will you accept me? It's a childish game. And then we take that game and we apply it. We apply it to God. And we're like, God, do you see me? I did all these great things. I volunteered. I served. I I went on the first gift stuff. I did all of these things. Do you like me? Ah. Will you receive me? And God's like, thank you. But that's not why I love you in the first place. Your works do not beget God's love. God loves you, period. The only problem with trusting in your own perfection is that you're never going to be perfect. Is anybody hearing that? Like, that's a great place for an amen. Like, that is so true. And here's where this leads this is religion. This is religion. And where this line of thinking will lead will be either to self-righteousness or self-loathing. When you're crushing it, you'll feel on top of the world. And when you're missing it, you'll feel like the world is crushing down upon you. When you're killing it, you'll be like, oh man, look at me, I'm amazing. Three for three on my reading plan. You version, check it out world. Yeah, I wanna share that with my friends. And then when you're not, 
You're going to go into hiding. You're going to retreat. And you're going to feel like, no, I hope no one sees me. And, oh, man, I feel, oh, I feel so vulnerable. And, oh, man, I, God loves you. And he wants you, period. In the good times and the bad times and the high moments and the low moments, he says, just come. Come to me. I love you with an everlasting love. The people were trying to change their behavior by rules. It never works. That's religion. God did not die so that you could have a religion. He died and rose again so that you can have a relationship with him. That's it. That's it. And that's the beauty of Nehemiah. Nehemiah has shown us all of this great work, all of this great effort, all of it in the Old Testament is not enough. It's not enough. I think that's why, I think that's why this ending, although very frustrating, is incredibly encouraging because it gives credence to the fact that we need a savior. We need a better Nehemiah. We need the son of the living God. And that's what happens in Ezekiel. Ezekiel's prophesying about this. He says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. Pointing to the Messiah who will establish a kingdom that is not based on rules but it's based in relationship. This is the gospel. Romans 8, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Our hearts are prone to wander. Yes, they must be led. Yes, but God is giving us a new spirit, a spirit that beats for him that wants to honor him, that wants to please him. And as good as it is right now, we're still incomplete. There is a heaven. We still deal with a sinful nature. There is a heaven where all of this will be wiped away and that's what we look forward to. So it, it already is, but it's not yet completely. And so in this frustrating in-between, as we're just, as we're figuring things out and we're, we're moving towards God and we struggle and we readjust and we lead our, our, our hearts and, and, and we move forward in our faith, we struggle, but we look forward to a kingdom that will be established once and for all, where we will be right with God for all of eternity. That's the glory of the gospel. That's the hope of every believer. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you so much for this, this amazing book that teaches us so many things. Father, I pray that you would speak. I pray you would speak to people who are on the journey right now, the journey of faith. Some have struggled. Some have gotten off track. Some have faltered. pray that God today would be a recalculating, a realignment of their hearts toward you. That God, we would trust in you, not our own works. We would trust in you and your goodness and your grace, Lord God. I pray that God, you would make this gospel come alive to us and that our hope would be in you. Our hope would be in the finished work of Christ. 
and that would give us great encouragement. I pray for those that right now are are not even walking with you. Father, I pray that today would be a day where they put their trust in you, maybe for the first time. And what a great way to finish out this book by making a decision to follow you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to take a moment before we, before we worship. Before we worship, I want to ask you, if you're here today and you don't know God, God wants to know you. God wants to have a relationship with you. And if you're here today and you're saying, man, I'm not sure if I am close to God, I'm not sure if if I have a relationship with God, then you probably don't, but God wants to have one with you and he wants to bring you home. And I want to pray for you. I want to believe God to do something amazing in your life. If you're here today and you're saying, man, this is speaking right to me, I need to make a decision. Maybe it's for the first time ever or for the first time in a long time to say, I'm going to let the finished work of Jesus be enough for me. I'm, I'm not going to put my hope in my, myself. I'm not going to put my hope in my works. I'm going to put my hope in Christ. If that's you, for the first time or for the first time in a long time, we are, we've been praying for you. This whole, this whole thing really is about helping you find and follow Jesus. So we want, we want to believe with you that God will make his presence known in a personal relationship with you. If that's you and you're saying, man, this is speaking right to me. Would you just raise your hand at both locations? Just raise your hand online, interact with chat, say, I need to make a decision. Hands going up everywhere. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, it's great. Anybody else, just raise it up. South Campus, raise it up online. Interact with the chat. Just raise it up. Say, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me, Scott? Yeah, it's awesome. Father, I pray for every person who's raising their hand right now. God, I pray for every heart that is reaching out for you. I pray that you would encourage, that you would strengthen, and that, God, you would do what only you can. And Father, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me, church? I just want to take a moment, as we always do, and respond to God. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come down to the front at this time. If you raised your hand and you want someone to pray with you, we'd love to pray with you. Just believe God to touch you. If you need prayer for anything, we want to invite you to come down. And we want to pray and believe God to do something powerful in your life. For the rest of us, let's just take a moment. And as we wrap up this book, say, God, I build my life on you, on your grace. Would you just lift your hands important moment right here. God, we just, we worship you. We dedicate our lives to you. And we say, Lord, let your will be done in our hearts. Lead us. Guide us. Help us live in victory. And help us have our hope ultimately in the goodness and the grace of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship.